0: It's Monday, September 24th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book, Basic Christianity by John Stott. Blake Wilson, our vice president of operations, will be leading us through chapter 10,
1: Reaching a Decision. Thank you, Herbie, for having me back again as we continue our study from John Stott's Basic Christianity. This week, we are at going to be wrapping up um, the latter part of the book. I believe we have one chapter left, but today we are going to be looking at reaching a decision, which is chapter 10 from Stott's book, um, talking about the importance of allowing Christ to penetrate your heart, um, repenting from your sin and following him. And the illustration that is um, pretty prevalent throughout this chapter is uh, the, the vision of Jesus standing at a door, knocking at a door, um, but ultimately knowing that it is uh, our decision to allow him to come in. And as I was reading through this chapter, I couldn't help but remember um, being a a child. And that's when door-to-door salesmen were not a thing of the past. I know um, in the world we live in today that it's very uh, unusual for a door to door salesman to come. I know in my neighborhood, the first thing you see when you pull in is a no soliciting sign. Door to door traffic, or at least unexpected door to door visits, are just a thing that don't happen a lot anymore. And I remember as a child, um, vacuum cleaner salesmen were one of the things that happened pretty consistently. And I know it. looking back at it, it's kind of a random thing that you would sell door to door. But I remember vividly one time a door to door salesman selling a vacuum and my parents actually letting this guy come in. And I remember walking into the living room and seeing this stranger vacuuming my living room floor and being so confused. But at the end of the day, I remember my parents buying a vacuum from a guy that came to our door. Well, that doesn't happen a lot anymore. But as we look into this chapter, um, we're gonna we're gonna look at um, the idea of Jesus knocking at the door. And the theme verse of today's study is Revelation three twenty. I just want to start there with our time together. And it says, "Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me." And I remember that verse as a child, growing up in the home of a of a pastor of a small Baptist church. There were pictures of this everywhere. It was in my Bible. I remember one at, at church, um, and this this picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And I remember learning about it in Sunday school. But but for today's um, study, I think it's very important that we put that in context. That we don't just start with Revelation three twenty, but we actually look back. Um, in Revelation back to verse 14 to get some context because this is actually in the middle of a letter um, to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And and this city was actually a city that was very blessed. They were prosperous. They were wealthy. Um, they were known for their manufacturing of clothes and of, of cloth. Um, and actually, one of the the other things that's kind of um, maybe not as well known with the Church of Laodicea, is that community was actually um, a community that had a medical school and was known for eye ointment or um, medicine for the eyes. So this, this city had a lot going for it. But ultimately what we see is that because they began to place their hope in physical and tangible things, they got sidetracked. And they lost sight of what the Lord had called them to do. So in um, in chapter 3 of Revelation, in verse 14, I just want to start, I'll start reading here. And it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words for the amen, the faithful and the true witnesses, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So let's stop there and know that there is definitely some backstory in tie in. This just wasn't a random illustration that was pulled out. The idea of lukewarm water was something that that Laodicea was really encountering. You see, they they had to build um, aqueducts to get water into their community from the hot springs. So as they were piping this water into the community, they began, um, to lose the heat. And by the time the water got there, the water was lukewarm. So if you guys have ever taken a sip of lukewarm water, you can relate to this illustration. And, and Jesus speaking here is, is saying that because you are neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is like the water that Laodicea had day in and day out. Um, they were blessed, but there was always a struggle with water. So he, he pulls that out to say, this is what you were like to me. He says in verse number 17, you say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So this passage, again, it pulls out so many illustrations um, that tie directly to the church of, of Laodicea. And every word was picked because it was written directly to that church. And I've, I've, I've read a few commentaries, and, and a couple of the things I wanted to highlight just built uh, around the prosperity of Laodicea. Um, and it was the wealthiest of, these, of the seven cities. And it was known for money, so the banking industry there. It was known for the manufacturing of wool and cloth, and then also a medical school that produced this eye ointment. But the city had always had a problem with that water supply. And when they built these aqueducts, this water would eventually t- turn um, turn warm from the hot springs as it was piped in, and and that water being um, being lukewarm was was disgusting. So as you tie that into Christianity, the church had become lukewarm, and thus it was dis- distasteful and repugnant, and the believers didn't take a stand. For, for anything. And they became indifferent. They became idle and then ultimately neglecting Christ. And that church had become hardened and self-satisfied. So in a sense, it was it was stagnant. And, and they began to rely on material possessions, rely on wealth. Um, and they became stagnant, not doing anything. So I think it's a great lesson for us to stop and say, where, where are we? And, you know, when I look at us as a nation, we are a, we are a prosperous nation. We are blessed. And I think it's so easy for us to look at the scripture and say, how dare they get sidetracked? They were so blessed. Why didn't, why didn't they stay on point? Why didn't they stay focused? Why weren't they following the Lord? But aren't we the same way? When I think, when I look, evaluate my, my life and how the Lord has blessed my family and I, how the Lord has blessed um, the country that I live in. There are so many things around me that the Lord has given me as a blessing that ultimately can turn into an idol when I'm not careful. And I see this is what has happened here to the church of Laodicea. They began to put their hope in the things in front of them instead of the things above. So as we continue reading um, in verse number Verse number 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline, to be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so you've got jesus standing at this door and, and the scripture is written that ultimately you just have to open the door you have to let him come in and he will eat with you and 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 growing up hearing this verse and even just studying and, and reading this chapter from stott's book just brought me back to a season in my own life, in my own walk, when, when I struggled with how simple that was. I felt in my own heart that I had to get things, um, get things right. I had to make sure that, in a sense, my house was spotless before I could invite Christ into my life, and, and I struggled with uh, trying to be good enough. and And I remember. Um, seeking counsel um, from others and just the encouragement of Jesus wants to come into my, quote, house um, just the way that it is. Because if I try on my own to clean things up, it's never going to be good enough. That is only through Christ um, that I can find my hope. So I remember struggling through that um, as a as a teenager. And I think Stott says some things on, on page um 164 in his book that just resonated with me when he was talking about repentance. And, and he says this in his book, and he says, um, not that we make ourselves better before we invite him in. On the contrary, it is precisely because we cannot forgive or improve ourselves that we need him to come into us. But we must be willing for him to do whatever rearranging he likes when he has come in. There can be no resistance and no attempt to negotiate our own terms, but rather an unconditional surrender to the Lordship of Christ. An unconditional surrender to Christ. That is what the Lord wants. When we let him in, he wants us just to hand our hearts over to him, for him to begin to transform us. And there is a, there's a passage in Ezekiel when it's in Ezekiel 36 as we look into the restoration of Israel as a whole. And, and in verse number 24, these, this, it begins to tie in, um, the gift of a new heart. And it says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God is promising here to restore Israel not only physically, but also spiritually. He says that he's going to give them a new heart and he's going to put his spirit in them. And I think when we when when we do invite the Lord in, um, our priorities shift. When His Spirit is in us, our hopes and dreams are shifted, and we begin to view things through what the Lord has for us. What has the Lord called us to do? You know, we we stop envisioning um, the things that things of this world, the things that we want to pursue that we feel could bring us peace or um success on earth and began to view things through what has the lord called me to do how can i further his kingdom while i'm here on the earth um and and 1 Timothy 6 is is a passage that um in my bible i believe is highlighted and um outlined and noted to where the text is really hard to read but it's a passage as as i have walked um, my road with Christ that um, becomes something that I go to time and time again. And especially as a, as a high school student, college student, and as I was seeking the Lord and His plans for my life, um, it just resonated with me. And it says, "...command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain." But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, and to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves, as a firm foundation for the coming of age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care, and turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have pur- professed and in so doing have departed from their faith. May grace be with you all. This passage has been um, instrumental in my spiritual growth and it's just a constant reminder. Um, when I begin to shift or get distracted and began to seek things out of this world that I feel can bring me hope, um, those things that um, I feel can bring me satisfaction and and what Paul is writing to Timothy here, he says, those things are just so uncertain. Don't put your hope in these things, put your hope in me, and that is where you will find um, the true life. I love the verbiage of the life that is truly life. That is where we will find hope, and it is through christ and 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 we um I encourage us to not get distracted like the Church of Laodicea. Um, to look around us and look at prosperity and begin to rely on ourselves. As, as Paul wrote here, don't, don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in Christ because that is our foundation and that is the hope of life. So at the end, we all have a decision to make. And, and, and is it will we allow Christ to enter in or will we keep him standing at the door? And, and a, a closing psalm that I think is something we can go with as a prayer is Psalm 51. And in verse 7, it says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. May God renew our spirits and our hope and remind us that He is the life that is truly life. Well, thanks, Blake.
0: And this week we are praying for Lifeline's Family Count Program and for families separated through the foster care system. We're asking the Lord to send parents in every location where Families Counts is so that they may hear the gospel and first be restored to Him before being restored to their children. We're praying for a fall church training that will happen in Birmingham in September. We're asking the Lord to grant our staff discernment as we reach out and recruit churches for the training. We're asking the Lord to anoint the speakers for this occasion, so that what is spoken is from Him. We certainly are asking the Lord for pastoral leadership in Mountain Home, Arkansas, and Austin, Texas. Lay leaders there are doing an excellent job of facilitating, but they long for church leadership from the top to come alongside of them in their efforts. We're praising the Lord that He has raised up a church in Austin, Texas, to lead the first Spanish families count class, so that these classes can be offered in Spanish. And we're praising the lord that he's opened the door for, for some of our staff to take families count to the country of romania and will you just ask that his spirit would go ahead of us and prepare the hearts of the church and the people in romania we're praying for translators that uh, he uh, that these translators would come to understand the concepts so that they can in turn teach them well and translate them well we're praising the lord for the expansion of families counts to other states and states and churches this year we're praying uh to the Lord for our partners, that they would be refreshed by the work of the Holy Spirit and the fruit he allows us to see in these classes. And we are praying for these parents who are going through these classes, that they would be reconciled to Jesus and that they in turn would come to the marvelous, miraculous, saving faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in turn, that they would take that hope to other struggling parents. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to partner with the church and your bride to do families count. We thank you for what it's meant in the lives of so many families and so many children. Would you continue to help this program? Would you continue to help us to find church partners and the church partners that would come alongside and, and take this program and make it a working of the local church that your body would be the transformation that these families see? Would you be with these birth families that you would restore them to yourself so that they in turn would come to know the matchless saving grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, you care for family restoration. You care for justice to be known. And may you do a great work in the lives of these families. We ask these things in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen.